Well, we're continuing our study through the book of 2 Peter. Now, we mentioned last week that this was Peter's last writing before he was martyred. As we discussed, he, in his youth, he was kind of impetuous and brash, kind of careless. How many can identify with that kind of a person? But as time went on, he also matured. He became a great man of faith and a great man of knowledge. And now he's writing to a group of younger believers, people that he counted as friends, people he probably mentored and started a church for. We assume they were young and that Peter was writing this, try to impart to them the wisdom that he had acquired over the years so that they don't make the same mistakes that he did, that they can mature faster and be a better blessing than he was. In the time he had left, he wanted to bless them, so he writes this letter to them. Now, last week we saw him encouraging the people to receive the grace and the peace that's available as you study God's word. You just can't get that on your own. You have to have God's word in your spirit to be able to be able to bring it back to you when you need it. Through God's word, we can avoid the temptation and evil that surrounds us all the time. I was reading an article the other day about the evil in the world, and we all know that there's out there. And the one thing we have to be aware of all the time is that we have the ability through Christ to overcome it. It's something that in our spirit, as a, as a non-believer, we are drawn to sin. The Bible says we are slaves to sin. But as a Christian, we're no longer slaves to it, but the temptation is always there. And we have to be strong enough in our faith to be able to overcome the temptation and not be drawn to what our natural man wants to be. And that's what Peter is trying to tell them, that you have the ability to deny yourself the things that you think you want that are actually sinful. And so now we pick it up at verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now the way this is phrased, it is a successional type, if it's such a word, type of uh, attributes or virtues that we get. You have to have one before you work on the other one. And you get the second one, then you work on the third one. And so it's a progression that we, we see as we become more mature in the, in, the, in the faith. Now he starts out saying, for this very reason. Well, what was the reason? What was going on? If we go back to the previous verse, we'll see it in verses 3 and 4. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that, them, that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, he's talking to younger believers, and he's saying that through God's word, you have, through God's word, you have all you need for life and godliness, and for that reason, the reason you have God's word, you have life and godliness. Now, for that reason, you need to do the following. How many realize that becoming a Christian doesn't end when you say the sinner's prayer? It's actually just the beginning of your walk. We have the power of God to help us, but we have to actually do the work. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These are things that God is telling us that we have to do on our end. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. How many have ever heard the phrase, you are saved by faith alone, but not faith is not the only thing that you need. James tells us that you need to add to your faith, and I'm not talking about salvation, but faith produces works. Now, we all know Ephesians 2.8, right? First, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we have to not stop there. We are called, we are saved by God's unmerited favor in our life. We come, we accept Christ, what Christ has done to us, and God saves us through his grace. But he also saves us in verse 10. It says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works. So salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning. God calls us to do good works, which it says, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Spiritual growth is not automatic. I'm going to understand that. You don't instantly become a mature believer overnight. Nor do you become a mature believer just through time alone. Perfect example is when you go to school. You don't become an instant mathematician overnight. You don't become a scholar overnight. You don't even get B's and C's overnight. You take time to study, and through time and discipline, you begin to learn, you become mature, and now you become a scholar, now you become a mathematician, and now you're able to earn B's and C's, or whatever you earn, because of the diligence you put into it. And spiritual discipline is no different. It requires cooperation with God and the application of spiritual diligence and discipline. It calls us to do our part. So Peter calls on them now for progressive Christian activity. And what's that mean? It means things that you do as you become more mature, you do more and more of them. And so we start out with verse 5 again. It says, for this very reason, make every effort. First, he tells us it's not automatic. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen to osmosis. Make every effort to add to your faith. You have the faith. Faith is a starting point. Now, from then on, it's up to us to allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and God's Word to mature us. We have the relationship with Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We're going to heaven. We got that part. Now, we have to grow and mature as believers. Warren Wiersbe says this, where there is life, there must be growth. The new birth is not the end. It's the beginning. So we start with that faith, and what's the first thing that God tells us to add to it? The first thing he says is add goodness. What's goodness? Goodness technically means moral excellence or virtue. And that means once you come to faith, now you have to start building a moral life for yourself. God will help you do it, but we have to make the conscious choices to begin to live a life that we know and what God tells us is moral. In Greek times, when this was written, excellence meant fulfilling your purpose or mastery in a certain field of endeavor. And they go on, they give a couple of examples. 
He says, if a land produces a good crop, it is meant to be good, meant to be successful. It's excellent because it, was, it did what it was designed to do, grow food. A tool that works correctly is excellent because it, was, it did what it was designed to do. And a Christian's purpose in life is to what? To glorify God, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God, catechism tells us. So our purpose in life is to glorify God. How do we do that? We glorify God by the way we live. How do we act? How do we behave? How do we reflect upon our Father? I asked the kids today, our lesson in, for the youth group was, how would, how would you think other people see you? Not how do you see yourself, but what do other people see in you? Do they see Jesus? Do they see a good Christian character? Or do they see things that maybe aren't the best? Our goal as Christians is to allow Christ to shine through us. If you've been in a grocery store and you see a little child running around, what's the first question you ask? Where is the mother or where is the parent? Why? Because the child's action in our minds is a reflection on the parent. And so when people see us, how we behave and how we act, and if they know we're Christians, it's a reflection on who God is. It's a, a reflection on what they think God is like. If we behave like everybody else, they're going to think that our God is no different than theirs. We have to be able to live a life of goodness, moral excellence, so that people see in us something different. They can see Christ in us. In fact, goodness is an attribute of Christ. 2 Peter 1.3, back at the beginning, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us, what? By his own glory and by his goodness. An attribute of Jesus is goodness, and God calls us, all right, now you have faith? Let's build on that. Start to be a good moral person. When people look at us, do they see a good person? Do they see a moral person? Do they see a person that is wanting to become like Christ? What, is, what do people see in us? And Peter is trying to tell them, when you live your life, faith is great, but it's only a starting point. You have to grow from there. You have to begin to mature. Verse 5, it goes on, for, every, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And now once you begin to get a moral compass, a moral excellence in your life, add to goodness knowledge. So now you begin to act more. You're getting an excellent lifestyle. You're doing things that please God. And now he says, get knowledge. Because you can't grow in knowledge if you don't have a good base in what you want to be as a moral person. And you can't expand your knowledge without a foundation of goodness. Knowledge means full knowledge or knowledge that is growing. Practical knowledge or discernment. In other words, discernment of what God wants to do in your life. That's what God calls knowledge. Beginning of uh, Proverbs the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We want to f know what God calls himself to be, what he calls us to be. What is our knowledge of God and how do we handle our situations in life, not only spiritually, but materially? Do we have knowledge to handle money? Do we have knowledge to handle a job? Do we have knowledge 
to drive a car. Not only do we want to be spiritually wise, God calls us to have that goodness, that good base, in order to apply the knowledge we have in different fields that we encounter through, the, through our life. I'll give you an example. Once we become, hopefully, as, as good as we can be, an excellent person, moral person, and now God allows us to have finances, or God allows us to have a job, we have to base our decisions on those things, on the goodness that God has called us to be. If we're a good moral person and God dumps a bucket of cash in your lap, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to behave? What does your knowledge of finances have to do with your goodness? Are you able to use what God gives you in a good moral fashion, or are you going to revert to using it the way the natural man would? I'll give you an example. How many, there was an article I wrote, I read a while ago about how many people who have won the lottery but are now worse off now than when they won the million bucks because they blow it. They have no moral compass and they just go out and they spend like crazy and now they're worse off than they were when they won it. If God blesses you and God gives you a job or abilities or talents, your goodness determines how you're going to behave with those things. And God wants us to have knowledge in how to do it correctly. God does not want you to be, and we've heard this phrase, so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. We need to have knowledge of how the world works and have that based on a foundation of goodness and, and moral character. How many people do we see who have a lot of possessions but have no moral foundation? And they use their blessings, material things, for, for poor things. Knowledge here refers to your ability to handle life successfully. How do we handle everyday life? When bills come, when jobs require you to do things, how do we handle those things? God wants us to have the knowledge to handle life here, but handle it from a spiritual and a godly perspective. That's why goodness has to be first. The kind of knowledge does not come automatically. It comes from obedience to God's word. As a believer, we can't separate the heart, mind, character, and knowledge. All of those work together. For you to have a good heart requires you to have good character, requires you to have good knowledge. All of them work together to do what God calls you to do. I like the way the New Living Translation writes this verse. It says this, So make every effort to apply, to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence then leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. So now once we apply the goodness, we have a good moral base, we become more like Christ in our moral attitude. And then we have the knowledge that God gives us, not only knowledge of God, but how to operate in this world on a godly basis. And now once we get that working, now we're at self-control. Now, Proverbs 16.32 says, It's better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 25.28 says, A person without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. Now, if you read through the New Testament, Paul always has this analogy of a Christian and an athlete being the same, same kind of thing. And 
as an athlete or even any, any profession that you want to be, you continue to grow, you, be, you continue to deny yourself in order to make your goal achievable. If you're an athlete, you deny yourself the things that athletes don't do. They don't sit around and eat donuts all day and all that kind of stuff. They exercise, they deny themselves, they take, eat the right food. They take time out of their schedule to do what they want to do, to achieve their goal. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Remember that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You, must, you also must run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice self-control. Philippians 3.14 says, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me to heaven. 1 Timothy 4.7, do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Anyone in a sport or training knows you have to control your life. You have to do things that you may not want to do. You may have to exercise self-control in areas in order to achieve a goal. Your desire, your, you, you control your desire to sit around and watch TV or waste time. You control what you eat. You control when you eat. You control when you exercise. You control when you study. You are, in effect, controlling what your natural person wants to do. Given to ourselves, we would want to Take it easy, rest, kick back, and spend hours doing nothing. Or maybe eating that second, third, and fourth donut. But if you want to achieve a goal, you have to deny yourself what you really, what your body says you want in order to get what you know you need. Anyone on a diet realizes you control what you want. And God is telling us, in our spiritual life, we have to control the things that normally come to our mind, the normal desires we have. We have to be able to control them in order to do what God calls us to do. How many of you, when you woke up this morning, rolled over and said, I wish I could sleep another hour? Young parents, right? But you controlled that urge to get up, and you came to church. You exercised self-control. Every morning when you wake up to go to work, you exercise the desire to sleep in to go to work. Whenever you deny yourself because you have to do something in your home, you have to clean or organize or paint, you deny what you want to do, which is nothing, in order to accomplish the goal of completing a project or painting or whatever it might be. And Peter's telling them, you have to be able to control your natural urges, what you want to do in the spirit, in the natural, in order to be able to do what God calls you to do in the spiritual. If we have knowledge of what God has planned for us, we exercise self-control to get to that goal. When I was studying through Bible college, we were married at the time and I had a job, so it was, you know, you know what it's like. You had to exercise self-control that when the kids went to bed, at 8 or 9 o'clock, that's when I had to study. Part of me wanted to go to bed. The other part of me wanted to watch TV and do nothing. But you have to exercise self-control in order to accomplish what your goal was. Anybody in school, college, anybody who has a goal has to deny what they want in order to achieve that goal.
It may be big things, it may be little, but Peter's telling them the act of growing spiritually is going to require you to exercise control over what the natural man wants. Now, next week, we're not going to finish all these things because they keep building on each other. We're going to finish all these virtues that God calls us to. But if you go back to the original premise that Peter's using his last days to, to pass on as much knowledge, encouragement, and warnings to his younger brothers and sisters in Christ, what was Peter doing? Peter was acting to them as a spiritual father. Paul refers to himself many times as his spiritual father. He was Timothy's spiritual father. Today's Father's Day. And no matter how old we get, dads, don't we want to pass on what we've learned to our kids? Now, I, I realize that as we get older, we may repeat those stories many times, and we may give information that may be out of date for the times, but the desire is still there. Our desire is to pass on and allow our kids to learn something from us. We want to be teachers. Peter wants to be their teacher. Right after my dad passed away, I don't know, he must have, did he give this to you, babe? There's that letter, that book he wrote. Just before he passed away, he gave this, this manifesto to Anna. It, was, it must be 20, 30 pages. And what it was is, because my mom died 10, 12 years ago, so he was by himself a lot. So he wrote, he wrote down all he did from the time he got out of the war in 1945 until he got married. I think it was most of it. And I'm reading this thing, and we gave a copy to my brothers, and we're reading this thing. And we're looking at all the things he did as a, as a young guy. Lived in New York for a while, had several different jobs. And, he, and we realized that all these stories, these crazy stories he told us, it must be true because he's writing them down. And I, I, we realized, both my brothers, my fact, my brother texted me, he said, you know, dad's lived a much more adventurous life than we could ever live because of all the things he did between being in the service and, and being on his own in, in New York in the, in the 40s and 50s. And I thought, you know what? That qualifies him to try to teach me when I'm 50 or 60. We're not too old to learn from people who have went on before us. Peter was an old guy now, talking to younger guys, trying to impart to them. And you know what? They're not too old to learn from somebody who's been older than they and experienced more than they have. The folks he was writing to, they needed to hear the experiences of an older, more mature believer. In fact, the Bible tells us that older men are to teach the younger men and older women are to teach the younger women. And it doesn't give a cutoff age for either of those. It just says that's what we are to do. And it doesn't say what older or younger is. You could be 20 and there's still people younger than you that you can teach.
and you may be 50, and there's people younger than you that you can teach. So that tells me everybody in here has the ability and the calling to teach and mentor somebody, someone that you can be influential in their life, maybe someone who's younger than you spiritually. You could be 20 and be more spiritually advanced than a 30-year-old. I remember I was, I was my first Sunday school class, my first adult class, and I was a young guy then, not, you know, didn't know a whole lot. And in my class was a world-class evangelist who's been doing this for 20 years. And I felt like a goof in the class because I was, I was a young guy teaching this guy who's been doing it for 20 years. And once I got over that fear of that, I realized that everybody else in the class needed to learn. And just because one person, at least one person in the class was a whole lot smarter than me, it didn't mean that everybody in the class was a lot smarter than me. And I was able to teach them and train them. And this guy actually helped me to do it better. We have the ability to teach and mentor those that are younger than us. Peter's doing it for his church before he passes away or he gets martyred. He actually gets martyred upside down in the years to come. But he's giving it his all until that time comes. And God requires us to give it our all until our time comes. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to close in prayer real quick. When Peter's writing this book, he's not singling out certain people. He's writing it to the group, the entire group that was there when he wrote the first letter. The church that he started, he's writing to everyone. So he's imparting his knowledge and wisdom to everyone in the group. Most often when you hear sermons or a lesson, they're geared toward maybe a specific need or a specific group of people. But these things are un not unique to someone, but they're, they're qualified for each one of us. Each one of us is required to grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge of God. And each one of us is required to build upon each of these virtues. And the truth is we never really arrive at being what God calls us to be. We'll get there eventually but there's never a point where we can say you know what i made it i've got everything god wants from me i've learned everything there is to learn not possible a theologian once wrote that god's word is is easy enough to understand that the youngest christian can read it and it's deep enough that the oldest theologian will never get to the bottom of it that's each one of us we're in that group somewhere and we can always learn and grow from God's word and become more of what God wants us to be. And that's exactly what Peter wanted for them. That's what dads want for their kids, to become better than they were, to be a better Christian than I am, to be a better person than I am, to be more successful than I am. God wants us to be that person. God wants us to be better than we are right now. And God knows we can do it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for being 
our father. Regardless of what type of dad that we had, you are our father. We can crawl up in your lap. We can call you dad. We know you understand our, our situation. You know the hurts and the pains that we have. You know the successes that we have. We can come to you with those hurts, and we can also come and rejoice with the winds that you allow us to experience. Father, I thank you for the relationship that each one of us have with you. And Father, we do thank you for the, the opportunity to celebrate dads for one day out of the year. But no, we, we do it every day. We thank you for the dads you've given us. We thank you for the ability for us to be dads. And for each person here, I pray your spirit fills them, equips them. If you're a dad, equip them to be the best dad they can be. If you have a dad, allow your love for your dad to grow and mature and help him to become the best he can be. And for each one of us, Lord, help us to experience you as our dad so that we can grow and mature and become what you want us to be. We want you to be pleased with us, Lord. We pray your spirit enables us to do it. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person as they leave today. Allow the spirit of God to fill them to overflowing and allow them to experience what Peter experienced, the grace and the peace that's available through God's word. And then, Lord, allow us through your word to grow in our moral life, our character, who we are when no one's looking. And then help us to have the wisdom to not only operate in this world, but to operate spiritually given the foundation of goodness that you've built into us. Father, we love you this morning. I commit each person here to you. They're your children, Lord. Take them, grow them, and mature them, and allow them to be exactly what you know they can be. And Father, we will give you all the glory, honor, and praise for each and everything you do in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Happy Father's Day. Have a great and tremendous day today. Come back on Wednesday to celebrate with us.